Until they had won their first Grammy for Best R&B Performance last year, Snarky Puppy was flying under the musical radar. Not anymore. The Grammy for their family dinner performance with Layla Hathaway singing the track Something changed things for the band that formed a decade ago at the University of North Texas. Today, the highly acclaimed jazz, fusion, funk, pop ensemble has exploded onto the global touring scene, and they're taking no prisoners. Mike League is Snarky Puppy's leader, heading up a cast of amazing musicians who are seemingly on tour and making music nonstop. The past 10 years have been an amazing ride for Mike and the band, but this is only the beginning. Inside Music Cast is pleased to welcome Snarky Puppies, Mike League. Hey, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, welcome, Mike. Hey, you know, we want to focus on our, you know, a lot of our chat with you today about your band, Snarky Puppy, obviously, but um, we also want to learn more about you. And, you know, we understand you got into jazz when you were in high school, but up until that point, jazz wasn't really what you were listening to, right? I mean, you were really into R&B and rock. Is that is that correct? Yeah, I kind of grew up with my dad's record collection. Yeah. yeah so, um all through my childhood, it was kind of Led Zeppelin and the Beatles and yeah. uh, James Brown and Stevie Wonder and stuff like that. Nothing, nothing really jazz-oriented. You know, I got, I got into that through my older brother. So what was it that, that eventually turned your ear to, ear to jazz? Uh, I think the gateway drug was like Steely Dan. <laughs> I think as it is for, all, for a lot of people, you know, that yeah. range. That nebulous middle ground between um, pop and, and jazz. Yep. Um, it was a, a record of my dad's, actually. Uh, uh, the first Steely Dan record I ever heard was Alive in America, which is oh, wow. a live record mm-hmm. uh, that has guys like Dennis Chambers and Peter Erskine and right. Chris Potter and Cornelius Bumpus and a lot of, you know, jazz dudes. Yeah. And then my brother, meanwhile, was feeding me like Oscar Peterson trio. So I was getting this kind of super, mm-hmm. super uh, straight-ahead swinging, soulful thing, and then this kind of uh, bastardization from bands <laughs> like Steely Dan. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, uh, did you play uh, music in, in in high school? Were you in the band or anything like that or not? Uh, I was like a kind of self-taught guitar player yeah. in high school, and then my brother hooked me up with a, a local jazz guitar player named Dan Leonard in Northern mm. Virginia, who was amazing. So he kind of started to, you know, uh, educate me with, like in a real way, and mm-hmm. and simultaneously I joined the uh, the school jazz band, and then my my senior year, um, uh, this is all on guitar, yeah. you know. And then my senior year, they didn't have a guitarist in the high school jazz band, so mm-hmm. we uh, or I uh, didn't have a bass player. We had three guitar players yeah. and no bass player, so so they just handed me a bass and said congratulations. Yeah. So when did you start uh, experimenting with with writing and the actual creation of music? When did you start messing with it? Actually, before I even knew how to play guitar, I remember the, my first day playing acoustic guitar, I wrote a song. Mm-hmm. A terrible, terrible, terrible <laughs> song. But a song, you know, I mean, I think I don't even think the song had chords. I think I was playing a single note <laughs> thing on one string of the guitar. But I think it was probably pretty indicative of of my disposition, you know, that I'm, I'm like, I, am, I definitely think of myself more of a composer than a, than a player. Yeah. Okay. Then, then you went on to to University of North Texas, which is, you know, infamously known for its its jazz, its music education. But uh, we understand that you actually were at one time considering Indiana University. Is that true or not? Yeah, I was. I applied to, was accepted by, and offered a scholarship um, from Indiana University for jazz guitar, and I was fully planning on going there. And then um, my senior year. Uh, you know, the September 11th terrorist attacks happened in New York. Yeah. And the fallout from that was really felt by the academic community with their funding, mm. you know, with like increased uh, national security spending and decreased yeah. education funding. Uh, IU dropped its guitar program that year. Um, so like in April, you know, a few months before I was planning on going there, I got a letter in the mail saying, Jeez. well, you can still come here, but we don't have a jazz guitar program anymore. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> so you have to study classical music, and because you're studying classical music, you don't have a scholarship anymore, and mm-hmm. I couldn't afford it. So uh, the only school in the U.S. that was 
that had a decent program that, that was still accepting applications in May of my senior year was the University of North Texas, and that's why I went there. Yeah. Well, speaking of the University of North Texas, you know, you, you met a group of musicians and that you guys had, had, had assembled there in Denton. And your first gigs, I think, were in, you know, like pizza parlors and coffee <laughs> shops and things like that. And, and was that the genesis of Snarky Puppy or was that something else? No, that was it. Yeah, that was okay. it. I mean, right. when I was a freshman in, in school, I I would call friends together to play things. I was writing just to kind of workshop the material, you know? Yeah. Um, and then after doing that enough, I kind of figured out the guys that I wanted to be in my, you know, stupid little band. And then yeah. I called them together. And Yeah, we played in the basement of a pizza shop yeah. uh, in Denton, <laughs> Texas. And that was the the beginning of the snowball. Yeah. You got to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, well, knowing what we know now about Snarky Puppy and what you guys do, what what kind of music were you playing originally? You know, uh, in, during the early years of the band when you were doing the pizza place uh, gigs, was it was it original compositions or were you playing covers? What were you doing? Well, there was only one or two covers that we did. We did a tune uh, by a Swedish band called Vessen, called Chapon Vindaloo, and then we did an okay. arrangement of. Um, a Chikoria tune, Little Flamenco, from an Origin record. Uh, and everything else, I think, beyond that was music that I was writing. And actually, the first record we made, The Only Constant uh, is what it's called, we made that within a year of the band being a band. So it, it's that that record is very indicative of what we were doing. You know, I mean, it sounds like college kids playing some weird cross between jazz and world music. Mm-hmm. Well, you just mentioned the band Vessen, and they're a Swedish band. And, and uh, one of our Inside Music Cast correspondents is uh, Mikhail Engstrom, who's from Sweden. And he had a question for you. He said, tell us about your interaction with Vessen. And were they an influence on your music and vice versa? And he said he'd love to hear you talk about this interaction with that band. Well, yeah, Vessen is a um, uh, a trio. Um, and at certain times, it's been a quartet um, of Swedish like traditional musicians that write their own music and play their own music. So it's not really traditional, it's like progressive okay. traditional music. I, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's really cool. <laughs> um, and, and my brother, who is a traditional musician, um, kind of hit me to them, and, and I got into them through him. Uh, and that's why I, I chose to play one of, uh, one of their tunes early on in the life of the band. Um, so... It, when I was doing it, this is years and years, a decade ago, I sent the composer, their percussionist, Andre Ferrari, who was in Stockholm, I sent him an email just saying, hey man, this song's really hard, my band's trying to play it, we're in college, can you give us some tips? And he was very generous and very kind and, and wrote a very long email back with tricks to play the song, and I was really moved by it. And then ten years later, I got a <laughs> Facebook message from him in an airport, this was like six months ago, seven months ago, yeah. um, saying, hey, it's Andre, I don't know if you remember me, you wrote me an email ten years ago about one of my songs. Um, my students at the conservatory in Stockholm won't shut up about you guys. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was just wondering if you're coming to Stockholm anytime soon. And I said, actually, we'll be there in like three days. Oh, wow. <laughs> so it was this crazy coincidence. We were just like in the airport in London. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, so I said, well, you know, man, we we got to get together. So Andre talked the whole band, basically, into coming to our gig in Stockholm, and we played this tune together, which was a really special moment because it was the first song, actually, wow. of any songs that Snarky Puppy ever played, and then 10 years later we got to play it with the guy. Oh, that's The guys cool. who wrote it and wow. recorded it. Yeah. Very cool. Really cool. Well, you know, thinking back to the early Snarky Puppy days, the majority of your gigs were... You know, like we said, pizza parlors and stuff like that. But you are also doing house gigs and parties. And, uh, you know, you guys per persevered with that sort of uh, gigging for years. And then, uh, you know, this 10-piece – it was a 10-piece band you were touring with. And that was pretty constant, right? Yeah, yeah. It was always 10 at the beginning. It it it, it shrunk a little later. Uh, but now it swells between 7 and 12. Yeah, but my question is how did you – you know, just how were you guys making ends meet during that period of, <laughs> yeah. of time when you were when you were trying to land gigs? Oh well, we weren't. <laughs> I mean, I mean, of course, that's yeah. the answer. We weren't making ends meet at all. Yeah, um, we were losing. You know, I would say massive amounts of money, but we didn't have massive amounts of money to lose. What little money we had, we were losing. Mm -hmm. You know, for sure, yeah. for years. Yeah, of course. You know, the only thing that really kept everybody going was the 
constant feeling that things were getting a little bit better. Right. You know, and also yeah. the fact that we loved playing the music and mm-hmm. loved touring together and, and experiencing new cities and stuff like that. But, you know, every time we'd play a town, the pizza place would have a few more people in it, right. you know, or the coffee shop or whatever. And so that kind of feeling of constant momentum is what, what got the band through the really hard mm-hmm. seven years, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Michael, you know, let's talk about the band a little bit, the lineup. And uh, and first, let's address, you know, you know, when it comes down to the writing of new music for Snarky Puppy, tell me about the process that you and the band have. You know, it's it's a large band. Is there, you know, granted, you're the leader, you're the mind, you know, mind trust in this whole thing. But uh, tell us a little bit about the collaboration. Does there exist a collaboration of songwriting or do, are the guys, I mean, they're musicians in their own right. But uh, tell us about the creativity and the, the writing process. Well, surprisingly, no, we don't write songs together at all. Okay. Um, whoever writes a tune writes every part. Okay. The horns, the, wow. The percussion parts, the, you know, all that stuff. Um, and and then we bring it in, you know, we'll, we'll email it, actually, to the band. So, for example, if I write a tune, I demo it out on Logic or GarageBand or some kind of computer software. Uh-huh. Um, and then I email it to the different guys in the band, and they learn it on their own, and then we get together to rehearse it with everything learned. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't write music out anymore. We used from the beginning, but I find that people memorize music much easier when they learn it by ear. Um, so, so then we get together and we rehearse, and and things change during the rehearsal. People have ideas, and we you know we try everything really um, that anyone suggests. And and as a band, we have kind of a group consensus on pretty much every decision. You know, every yeah. like we know as a band when an idea is working or when an idea is not working. There's never the kind of bickering or debates about things. It's pretty. It's a pretty intuitive process when we're making adjustments uh, during rehearsal, and then the tune gets played the next night and probably the next 150 nights. Yeah. Hey, this is kind of uh, somewhat off the topic, but you know, I, I've heard you mention that a favorite movie of yours and the band's is, is the movie Tommy Boy. Not necessarily for the, the the comedy aspect, for the but for the message that you know you should never give up. And it's obviously a great analogy for the road Snarky Puppy has traveled, right? Yeah, that's how you did some digging for that one. Um, yeah, it's a it's it, I would say that it, it's a favorite of the band, mostly for the comedy part. And yeah. as a side note, because of the uh, the perseverance element, but uh, yeah, no, it's a great it's a great film, and yeah, there's. Uh, there's definitely that that great scene with Chris Farley and David Spade trying to sell brake pads to some guy in an office, and <laughs> yeah. um, and, <laughs> and you know basically the, the idea that you just can't you can't let someone say no to you, right? You know, which which obviously comes with you know caveats for sure. Like obviously you don't ever want to be pushy with people, but yeah, um, yeah just the idea that that you uh, when you have a, a vision or a goal, you you see it through right. to the end, even if people try to get in the way. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you guys have come so far in the past ten years, and and now you're a Grammy-winning band for the song "Something" that you know that featured uh, the amazing Layla Hathaway. And in your acceptance speech, I think at the Grammys, you'd mentioned that you know through eight of the years touring unglamorously and sleeping on floors, <laughs> that accepting a Grammy was unimaginable. You know, now that uh, some time has passed since winning a Grammy, has it sunk in? Uh, <laughs> I don't know that, that something like that ever really sinks yeah, in. I yeah. mean, um, you know, an award is an award. It doesn't make you a better band. And yeah. It doesn't make you a better musician. And, uh, it doesn't do anything for your quality of art. True, at all. true. It just, it just makes life easier. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> which is, you know, yeah, after eight, nine years of, you know, sleeping on floors, mm-hmm. uh, life getting easier is a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, you know, a lot of my favorite bands never won Grammy. You know, Led Zeppelin never won a Grammy. It's like, it's weird to to be in that list of people, for sure. Yeah. But then, you know, conversely, a lot of terrible bands have won Grammy. <laughs> True. So, you know, I think, it's just, I think it's just one of those things where it's like, you take it for what it is, which is um, an opportunity for your... For, for the thing that you've built to earn respect Absolutely. instantly and, and to make life more comfortable mm-hmm. on the road for for the people in the band, which is a beautiful thing. Hotels, not floors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. 
Hey, Mike, you guys have toured, you know, the world, you know, round and round a, a few times and bringing your music to fans from, from many, many cultures. Um, is the reaction to your music on in other countries similar, or do you receive a variety of type of reactions, responses uh, from place to place? I mean, I mean, when you go international, you, you see it all. So tell us about those audiences. Yeah, every every country is different, for sure. Um, we just played a gig in India, and, and they were, like, yelling every... Anytime something happened on stage, you know, every 20 seconds, the crowd would kind of, like, surge and then, and then go back to being quiet. <laughs> um, you know, and then we've played, like, a lot of times it's in Germany where the crowd is... Or Japan, where the crowd is silent the yes. entire gig. Yes. And, and they just kind of clap politely at the end of a, of a tune. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you and you know, the first time we played Tokyo, we thought they hated us. <laughs> really? Well, I've heard other bands because, say that, yeah. Yeah, because we were putting out all this energy and we, we, we didn't feel like we were getting any back. And then at the end of the concert, you know, they had us do two encores and everyone was at the sh that, that went to the show went to the merch table. And, and you, we just, you just realize it's a cultural thing, you know. I mean, yeah. different countries react to the same music in different ways. Uh, so yeah. by now we've learned from playing, God knows how many countries, probably six mm -hmm. sixty countries or something, um, that uh, that you can never judge what's going on inside people's heads in the audience, and it's your job to just make the best music that you can, mm -hmm. um, and and not assume what's going on in in, in their heads. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and connected to that question, uh, one of our correspondents, Kim Riley, who's down in Boca Raton, Florida, uh, she said, do you have a favorite uh, place, do you have favorite places or countries in particular that you always look forward to playing? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, kind of all of them. <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think the band <laughs> is very good at at, uh, at finding the things in each country that, that we'll all love, you know, specifically like food or or clubs, you know, sure. like venues that we'll go to after our gigs or whatever. Also, I think the band is very good at making friends among the musician community in, in each town. So whenever we go to a city, somebody in the band has some musician friends who will take us out and show us some cool local stuff. Uh -huh. um, so so in a way, we look forward to every gig. You know, for me, my, my I know the band always looks forward to Japan because we, we end up eating our body weight. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, um, and, and I, I always look forward to Spain because um, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's the most, the place that feels the most like home for me. And I, and I'm obsessed with Spanish food. So, yeah. you know, I think everyone has their place. You know, we know when we go to Ireland, the crowd is going to be insane. You know, the last time we were there, people were crowd surfing without shirts on. And, I mean, it was crazy, you know, <laughs> Everywhere we go, it's different. We love it all. I think. Yeah. And, of course, Bloomington, Indiana. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, of course, Bloomington, yes, where people also crowd surf. But no, no, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, no, Bloomington's great. It's fun. <laughs> you know, when Rick and I saw you in Bloomington just recently at, at, at Birdie's, little club there, you know, we really enjoyed the inter interaction that uh, you have with the audience. And, I mean, you're, you're so in their face and they're in your face, it's almost as if you're in the same plane. So, I mean, you guys prefer performing live over recording, don't you? I mean, in essence, you're a live playing band. Isn't that correct? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's different. I think the yeah. band loves doing both. You know, um, I, we, I think our natural habitat is playing live, which is why we make albums live. Yeah. You know, yeah, I mean, right. all, all of our, well, not all of them, but most of our records uh, recently have been recorded with us just playing live in a studio. So yep. it's not so different from playing a live show. Yeah. Um, but that said, all the guys in the band are studio pros. So, you know, it, we, we were constantly making kind of overdub heavy albums for yeah. other artists. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, the, the snarky puppy's essence is a group of people pulling together live 
zero overdubs. That's yeah, right. Well, at the Bloomington show, you know, there was a young female, a very talented female singer, um, Lucy Woodward, uh, yeah. who she, she just did amazing. And you guys backed her up really nicely, too. Uh, you know, one of her tunes, you pulled out um, your baritone guitar. Now, it had been years since I had seen someone pull out a baritone guitar. When do you decide to use use one? And, and what was the real function of that uh, the baritone in that track? Uh, what what made it very practical for you to use? Uh, there's something that I, man, I don't know. Just I love baritones. Yeah, it's funny. I, I got I started getting obsessed with them uh, actually through Lucy because we were going to record uh, a Frank Sinatra tune mm-hmm. called "The World We Knew." That that has this amazing baritone guitar intro. Um, and and once I heard that sound, I was just like, man, I have to get one of those things. So I just bought a $200 baritone guitar um, wow, immediately afterward. And, and I, I think I started kind of finding a, a a little voice on it just because I'm a bass player, but yeah. I started on guitar. Yeah. So baritone's kind of right in the middle. You know what I mean? It's 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 right in between a, a, a guitar tuning and a, and a bass tuning. So mm-hmm. I I love that low yeah. sound, and I also love it combined with a female voice. So you have a lot of space between the low frequencies of the instrument mm-hmm. and, and the high frequencies of a, of a female voice. Yeah, exactly. Um, but so I basically just use them on everything that I could find an excuse to use them on <laughs> in the <Yeah>. studio. <laughs> Very cool. I'm glad you had uh, Lucy open up. I I honestly had never heard her before, and she was fantastic. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, amazing. Hey, you know something else I've noticed that you're very cool about touting other artists that you come in contact with on the road that you know you guys really dig. And I, I've learned a lot about these artists from your posts just on Facebook. And what? Just tell me off the top of your head, like maybe recently, what are some other bands or musicians that you've that, that have caught your attention? Oh man, there's so many. Um, <laughs> One of my favorite bands in the world is uh, a group that uh, we recently signed to Ground Up Music, which is our record label, yep. um, called Banda Magda. Right, and right. G-D-A, uh, a girl from Greece named Magdianiku who plays uh, accordion and sings and sings in like eight languages and, and writes all this beautiful music and went to Berkeley for, uh, for I believe, orchestral arranging and, uh-huh. and conducting. Yeah. Um, but she's just one of those people that has a million talents. You know, you can throw a, a piano or a pandero at her and she'll, you know, or a tabla, <laughs> and, she'll, she, and she knows how to play it. You wow. know, she's so obsessed with learning things. I love that band. Um, yeah. I'll try to think of some bands that aren't on my label. There's a band from Brooklyn called Breast Fist. That Breast is Fist? A, a <laughs> hilarious group of dudes. Alan Hampton, who uh, <laughs> you can see playing with Gretchen Parlato or playing bass for Robert Glasper uh-huh. um, and, and a guy named Bill Campbell uh, who went to the same college as all of us in Texas. They have this great, like, funky, funny band that dresses in crazy costumes and, and plays shows. Yeah. Uh, but a really amazing band. I mean, there's there's so many <laughs> out there. There's yeah. so many great groups. You know, right. the Family Dinner series that we have is kind of designed to highlight lots and lots of very different artists. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. we have another one of those records coming up, which will right. be cool. It's funny. You know, we were talking about that just before the interview, Rick and I, and, and we uh, we sort of remember that. And the last, uh, you know, family dinner um uh, the ticket sales that you that you were uh, you, when you opened it up for sales, um, you know, you sold out in like what is it, forty seconds? Uh, I mean, two minutes or something. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it was like, yeah, I think it was yeah, three or four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, Elton John can't do that, Rick. I mean, <laughs> no. well, with, with four hundred tickets, he probably could. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know what you mean, but you know what I mean. Just uh, and. Cool. Yeah, that was that was really cool to see then. You had a, a myriad of vocalists join you on the, the family dinner sessions, that original sessions. And has anyone ever invited themselves to sit in as a guest vocalist, or have you always chosen who, who you wanted to? to Plenty come of in? people invite themselves. <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> but 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 the, the the invitations are not accepted. No. I mean, of course. Uh, you know, I I think depending, certain people see these situations as. Oh yeah, I can sing. I'd love to sing with the band, but I, I think you know we try to uh, to have a vision for the projects that's uh, larger than just this person can sing. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people in the world that are great singers, you know. Yeah. Um, but uh, with these projects, 
with family dinner, I, I try to design the guests, the guest rosters to, to show uh, a myriad of different styles and personalities and, and textures and, um, and also, you know, emphasizing the compositional element of, of the people that are, that are performing, not just the talent element, because we play their songs with, with my arrangements. Very cool. Hey guys, let's take a break and uh, let's listen to some music. Uh, let's listen to a, a track from the Family Dinner Project that came out last year. And this is the track that features Layla Hathaway, and it's called Something. And of course, this is the track that won the band uh, a Grammy last year for Best R&B Performance. This is from our guest today, Mike League, on Inside Music Cast.
Speaking of family dinner, you said a second ago that you're getting ready to record another one. I think this time you're going to be doing it at the uh, Esplanade Studio in, in New Orleans. I think it's next month. Is that right? It's bearing down on us. And, and <laughs> just, just a little more than a month we'll be recording yeah. at Esplanade in, in New Orleans. It'll be well, cool. well, I'd read that David Crosby is a big fan of yours so much that he, was, he wasn't shy about giving you guys some serious Twitter love recently. And so you invited him to be one of the guest vocalists, I guess. And, and tell, us, uh, tell us as much as you're able to tell us about this upcoming family dinner project, along with maybe some other guests that will be joining you. Well, it's going to be a little different from mm-hmm. the last one in that uh, – it's the same in that we're inviting eight vocalists, uh-huh. vocalists, and it's different in that we're also inviting some instrumentalist friends from around the world. So, right. um, on the vo- on the vocalist side, we have David Crosby, um, the African legend Salif Keita, uh-huh. um, Afro-Peruvian legend Susanna Baca, mm-hmm. um, a singer from the UK named Laura Mvula. Oh yeah, uh, Becca Stevens, a friend of ours from New York who used to play with us in uh-huh. tiny venues. Uh, when we'd come to, to the city, um, and now she's doing fantastically well. Um, Chris Turner, a singer that uh, has kind of m- most well known for singing behind Esperanza Spalding and, and singing in Eric Harlan. Oh yeah, and um, a young guy from the UK who's kind of a YouTube star. Um, named Jacob Collier okay. of the Royal Conservatory of Music. I think he's twenty. Wow! Um, and he's a multi multi instrumentalist. That's really really amazing. He is good. Uh, yeah. And then finally, a duo from Los Angeles that uh, that I was turned on to because one of my favorite bass, probably actually my favorite bass player, Tim Lafave, plays with them sometimes. Uh, a, a duo called Knower. Oh yeah. Um, so we have though very very different artists, you know, from like kind of folkloric music legends to, you know, like live techno pop, you know, on this record. And then in addition to that, we've invited some of our favorite instrumentalists from around the world. So the Vessen, the Swedish band that we talked about earlier, coming over. Um, Charlie Hunter, the great guitar slash bass player. Uh, Jeff Coffin, who was a longtime member of the Bela Fleck and the Fleck Stones and now plays for the Dave Mathis band. Yeah. He's coming. Um, Two Brazilian uh, musicians that are um, unbelievable. Uh, a flute legend named Carlos Malta and uh, a percussionist, a bandero player that plays in his band, Pipe Moderno, uh, named Bernardo Aguiar, uh, are wow. coming. Uh, we have a great uh, lap steel player from Florida, from the Church of the Sacred Steel School, um, named Roosevelt Collier. Uh, it's there's there, it's, there's so many guys, and then we have this crew of New Orleans musicians that we've invited to do a, a like a bonus track. Uh, like, so it's it's going to be kind of wow. mayhem, I think. Well, you mentioned Jeff Coffin; he's been a guest on our show before, and he's he's just amazing. And uh, it's cool that Vessen's coming. And my next question was going to be, you know, what can we expect in regard to musical stuff? But I think you've already answered that. It's going to be so it's going to be all over the map. It looks like <laughs> all over the map, all <laughs> over the map. Yeah. And David, you know, the, the Crosby. There's a tune that we're going to be doing with him. That uh, initially, when he and I started talking, 
we were talking about redoing an old CSNY song. Um, oh, that's cool. And 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 I said, well, man, do you have anything like in the in the oven, like something that you've been writing? And he sent me like four demos of stuff that he had just written that week. And there was one song that blew me away. And and I told him, man, we should do this one. And he's super into the idea, so we'll we'll be playing a brand new song, like a song he's never recorded before. You know, most recently, your your album, you know, We Like It Here, it's it's a brilliant project. And in fact, it was one of our uh, nominees for uh, here at Inside Music Cast for Album of the Year this year. And, oh, uh, and uh, you know, one of the tracks is uh, Shifu Khan, which is, which is one of your epic tunes that really ties you into the crowd almost everywhere that you take it. And uh, how, I'm curious, how old is that tune or the concept of that that was in your head or, uh, you know, you know, when you wrote that, how how long has that been in the works then? How old is it? I think track? I wrote it two Christmases ago. Um, I was in the Netherlands. Uh, I just like scheduled a little writing vacation because I had a free place to stay mm-hmm. in Rotterdam at a place called, uh, that my friend owns, actually, a Dutch friend of mine owns a place called the Shofufan Japanese Cultural Center uh-huh. in Rotterdam. Um, and I was just staying in this weird house uh, that's amazing. It has like a dojo and a Japanese tea hut and uh-huh. all kinds of crazy stuff in it. Uh, <laughs> and I was trying to write new tunes. That was the trip that I wrote, What About Me and Wingus and um, and Shofukan. And, uh, you know, that tune came from a lot of different places. It came, the spark initially was from something I was humming outside in the garden when I was trying to find this chicken I had to feed um, <laughs> as as my little like my rent you know uh-huh, uh-huh. make sure that their chicken their chicken stayed alive uh, and and then some of it came from uh, from a, a groove a Tunisian groove yeah. off of a song that my friend gave me that I felt beat one in the wrong place uh, and, but I liked how it felt feeling it wrong so I put that in as the baseline during the solo section um, and then the last section came from something that I was humming as I was walking uh, to get like these Dutch fried pastries called Olibol and I was just walking uh, in the snow like trying to trying to find this truck that sold these donuts yeah. Yeah. and I was just humming something you know I mean a lot of the time that's how ideas come just when you're when your brain is kind of in neutral mm-hmm. you know and then you, you find some melody and turn your voice recorder on your phone and, and you have a melody, you know? Right, right, right. Do you listen personally to a lot of international music? I mean, Middle Eastern, Spanish, Latin, you know, because the music, you know, that that you create in Snarky Puppy, you know, it, sound, it, has, it really has that global international feel to it, if that makes any sense. Yeah, sure. I mean, everybody in the band has a wide variety of listening influences and, and you know, I would say two out of every three records I listen to are from outside the U.S., mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I'm really into new sounds and textures and finding the commonalities between different forms of, of world music. Uh, going back to We Like It Here, you know, Lingus, you mentioned that a second ago. That's that's probably one of my favorite tracks on, on the record. And I, I just love the horn arrangements on this one, not to mention uh, Corey Henry's blistering key solos. I, I think that was Corey Henry, <laughs> right? It was, yeah. yeah. So when I hear composition like this, I always try, you know, to envision the task of creating and, and you know and charting such an elaborate piece of music. Mm-hmm. So tell me about the time commitment and the progression of a track like Lingus. I mean, how do you know when it's finished and and when is it <laughs> and when it's just the way you know you had envisioned? Well, nothing is ever the way that I envisioned. I think that's one of the yeah. the first rules of composing mm-hmm. uh, and band leading is that no matter how hard you try to make. I mean, I mean, the the preconceptions get abolished from the from the start. You know, you go in trying to write something, and and you end up writing something different than you intended, and you have to embrace that. Yeah. And then yeah. once you have written it, there's a way that you intend for it to sound in rehearsal, and it never sounds that way. <laughs> you have to embrace that as yeah. well. You know, you know, I think it's important to not let your preconceptions of of uh, of an idea cloud your ears in the reality of that moment. Right. You know, because a lot of the time the band will play something wrong or differently than you intended, and it actually is better than what you wrote. Mm-hmm. But if your brain is focused on play what I wrote, you might miss it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I try to keep my mind very open yeah. to, uh, to, th- to things like that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, with that tune, 
it goes all over the place. It starts kind of feeling like dubstep a little bit, and then it yeah. goes into this very quick, frenetic, double-time thing. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I just try to, as far as knowing when a tune's done, I just try to create a contour mm-hmm. and a story. Mm-hmm. You know, so that even if we're having a bad night and the band isn't sounding great and maybe the solos aren't great, that the songs themselves, if you play them, will tell enough of a story for the audience to, to feel something right. and be moved. You know, I don't like relying on the improvisational element the way that uh, that people do in straight-ahead jazz a lot of the time, where composition, I think, takes a backseat to improvisation. I, I prefer to be, you know, heavy on the... On the uh, on the composition and lighter on the improvisation. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm sure a, a track like Lingus and a lot of your music probably takes on a, a different avenue every time you play it, like you'd mentioned. It, it probably sounds a little different, you know, from night to night when you guys are doing that stuff live. Every song does. Yeah. We, we, I mean, I say heavy on the composition, light on the improvisation, but really it's just heavy on both. I mean, <laughs> the band is, is um, constantly improvising as a group, like changing the compositions, like maybe we'll just play a tune in a completely different style of music one night without talking about it right. based on how the intro is played and then we all go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, within the solos, there's it's completely you know, improvised. So it, it, we, we never play the same song the same way twice. Right, sure. cool. That's very cool. Well, hey, Mike and Eddie, uh, let's, let's pause for a minute and let's check out this track, Lingus, from the album We Like It Here, from today's guest Mike League and his band Snarky Puppy on Inside Music Cast.
Well, and, you know, all the tracks, like you mentioned earlier on We Like It Here, they were all tracked live, and, you know, and but I'm just curious, when you guys are finished with it, you're taking it back from mixing, do you guys ever go back and, and finesse anything, overdub, add parts, or do you just, are you guys true to what you cut live that ends up on the recording? Yeah, we uh, we, we go with the live take. That's cool. You know, That's we, good. Um, you know, there's cleaning up, for sure, in, in the post-production process in terms of you know, muting microphones that aren't being used and, you know, obviously for quality purposes, it's not like we set up two microphones in front of the band and then that goes straight to to disc, you yeah, know. Right. Um, there's definitely like a, a cleanup process, but there's, no, we never retrack horns or, or change notes of what people played or um, anything like that. No way. We The goal is to just make what was played sound as good as possible. Yeah. That's what we do in the, in the mixing process. Excellent. Well, hey, before we close, I've got three quick questions, and these th- three questions are from uh, Inside Music Cast fans, and uh, they're in different parts around the world. And the first one is from uh, Ben Rose from Aberdeen, Scotland. And uh, mm-hmm. you, you answered part of this question earlier, but uh, have Pat Metheny or Steely Dan influenced you? Obviously Steely Dan. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I mean, I, what I love about both those bands that's common um, is that they use their knowledge of jazz um, to reach people in a more accessible way than straight-ahead jazz yeah. normally does. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that Matheny is so melodic, you know, and that he's so conscious of textures and, and contour and drama mm-hmm. and music. Uh, we try to do the same thing for sure to create to create problems and solve them in in the compositions, you know, and to create tension and release and, and things that sometimes you don't hear necessarily in, in straight ahead jazz. And Steely Dan's the same way, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. they use really jazz harmony to underneath super clever lyrics and yep. and and singable melodies. And I, I love that marriage, that balance of kind of the depth and, and complexity of jazz jazz elements and the, the accessibility of the final product. Yeah. Harry Whitley from uh, North Wales, UK, he asks uh, a couple questions. He goes, how, how do you first describe Snarky Puppy when asked? And uh, what do you what direction do you see the band taking? I know that's a little, that's a, probably a tough one, but maybe you can give us some general answers there. Yeah, I mean, whenever people say what kind of music you play, I just say instrumental music. Yeah. You know, because that's the only thing that's consistent. And then when we make family dinner albums, actually, it's not instrumental. So I don't even think, I, I don't know. I mean, I think of it as kind of, um, yeah, I would say just like instrumental pop, although that makes it sound like we play smooth jazz. Uh, I don't want to put be put in the same category as like Kenny G here. But um, <laughs> I, I think that, I think it just depends. I, I just say we play music, man. I don't know. I, I would say instrumental, instrumental music. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. And then our last question is from uh, uh, Evelyn Collinsey, and I hope I pronounced that correct. She's from the Netherlands, and she's the singer in a band called Tristan. Have you heard of Tristan? I have not, okay. but you, I will check them out. Definitely check them out. Very they're cool, they're yeah. amazing. I think you really dig them. Yep. She just wants to know, being a singer herself, do you have a favorite guest singer? Or is that even a fair question to ask? <laughs> it's, not a, it's not a fair question. Yeah. It's not a fair question. <laughs> we, knew that. So. we knew that from the I beginning. Mean, every, yeah, every, everyone... Uh, you know, everyone that we that we work with has a thing, yeah. you know, a different thing, and and we embrace and try to try to support that thing that that each mm-hmm. singer has to offer. Um, I mean, you know, each I think each singer that we've ever had play with us has something that's my favorite. Yeah, you know, whether it's their their tone or their style or their mm-hmm. vibe or or their technique or sound or whatever, you know, that, but I would say, no, 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 there isn't anyone that I've, that I've just been like, this is the greatest singer right. in the world, you <laughs> right. know, I mean, even Layla, who is just the most, yeah. one of the most complete musicians that I know that is a singer, yeah. um, you know, there are, there are things that other singers have that are just different, Yeah, you know, I mean, and a lot of the time it's, it's, it's the sound of the voice, you know, when you hear... Susanna Baca or Salif Keita or David Crosby when they open their mouths, right. Right. there's there's a thing that's them mm-hmm. and that you know that it's it's irreplaceable and, and no one can ever do that better than them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know? So I it's yeah I have, I have no 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 loyalties. No such thing as favorites. 
<laughs> hey, well, Mike, we appreciate the time you've spent with us today. Um, and you. just in closing, we know that, you know, obviously these next couple of months are extremely busy for you. I think you're, you've got some gigs in Florida coming up. You've, you're going on a jam cruise or uh, something like that. And, I, of course, next mm-hmm. month is the, uh, the next volume of our uh, next recording for Family Dinner. Um, what, what's the rest of the year look like? Are you guys booked up, things happening, or are you taking a break? Oh, God, no break. No. Um, no, we have a record coming out in April on Impulse Records, um, our first ever major label release. Great. Um, an album that we made with the Metropole Orchestra in mm-hmm. the Netherlands. So this is like 62 people playing live wow. together, another live oh, wow. CD, um called Silva, S-Y-L-V-A. Okay. Um, that is super exciting. It was an hour uh, an hour long suite of music that I wrote specifically for this ensemble, this kind of hybrid of of the Metropole Orchestra and Starkey Puppy mm-hmm. um, that looks and sounds really beautiful. I'm, I'm more proud of it than anything we've ever done. Wow. Um, and that's that's coming out in April. Uh, there will be a trailer released in the next month for it. Uh, awesome. And then, of course, we're making Family Dinner Volume 2 in February. We're going to make another regular Starkey Puppy record with like no guests, um, but a live DVD in-studio audience thing like we normally do in Texas. In August, and simultaneously, I'll be making a documentary um, in conjunction with a, um, a German uh, media uh, conglomerate yeah. that will be helping helping us out with it um, on on like a documentary on Texas musicians. That's cool. Um, uh, so yeah, there's a lot, and then in between <laughs> that, of course, there's like uh, over a hundred gigs. Oh my god! So there's there's a lot going on. A lot oh. going on this year. I'm going to go to South America for a month and study music, just like teach some lessons in certain cities, and then uh, study some some folkloric music down there. Wow. So it's going to be a really busy year. It's going to be fun. No, yeah, yeah no, no breaks. No breaks. But stay above <laughs> no, it. No, right? Stay no, above no, no, no. it. Sleep when you're dead. You know, I'm <laughs> thirty, man. I've got I've got like another forty years before I need to slow down. Eddie and I want to shamelessly invite ourselves to be in on one of your live uh, gigs. Uh, you know, hey, re- man. album gigs Do it. Re- re-recorded. <laughs> come, come in August, man. I love it. That would be Hopefully fantastic. The tickets won't sell out as quickly as the family that owns. Well, you're so busy. We hope that we can catch up with you again sometime down the road because you have so many cool I'm things sure. happening, and we w- would love to to catch up again. So we'll we'll be in touch. That would be great. Thanks okay, so much for great. your time. Thank and you guys so much for your time. All right, Thanks. happy New Year. Thanks a lot. Yeah, you too. See you, Mike. Special thanks to Mike League of Snarky Puppy for joining us on this episode of Inside Music Cast. We'd also like to thank our correspondents, Kim Riley, Brian Pearson, Scott Gross, Mikhail Ingstrom, Loretta Sassaman, Scott Sheriff, Don Brightup, and Mats Uniland for their continued support and content development for Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast is powered by Cabello Associates and Earshot Audio Post. For information about becoming a sponsor and sharing your message with thousands of music fans around the world, please visit InsideMusicCast.com for contact information. For Eddie Cabello, I'm Rick Such. Thanks for listening to Inside Music Cast. Inside Music Cast.